Welcome to episode four of the Pedal Steel Podcast. My name is Brian Dast. Thanks so much for tuning in. And uh, my apologies for taking so long between uh, episodes. I've had a busy summer. I've been touring and playing and recording and doing all that good, fun stuff. So it's all good, but uh, did, did kind of keep me from getting this episode out as quickly as I would have liked. But uh, this is a good episode, you guys. Seriously. We have got a gear review for you. We are going to review the new generation tone bar. And we are going to have an interview with the illustrious, legendary Stu Shulman of Queens, New York, Austin, Texas, LA, and now Anchorage, Alaska. So let's jump right into things. Pedal Steel Podcast Product Reviews. We are going to be looking at uh, the new generation tone bar from Red Barn Music Supply. These are made by a guy named Glenn Porter. Um, I had the chance to try one out while I was up in Alaska. Stu Shulman uh, had one and he lent it to me for a few days. I really liked it. So I wrote to Glenn and I asked if I could uh, do a proper side-by-side review with a few different bars. Um, So the story on these bars is that it's kind of a new design. And the special thing about them is that they've done some sort of uh, added metal to the inside of the bar to weight the bar more toward the tip so and you can you can feel it when you pick up the bar that it feels heavier on the bullet side and lighter on the flat side which you know as uh, Larry Bem once told me you know all the tone is in the tip and that's why you move the tip to where you want you know your notes to be so this sounded like a great idea to me and when I tried out Stu's bar I was just like yeah I really like it it feels like um, you don't have to do as much work to get a nice tone out of it like you don't really have to press down at all and it it seems to just feel right and and do what you want it to do um so i'm going to compare it to a few different bars i have first i should say the specific bar that glenn sent me is the 440 15 16th 10 string bar i guess i should give you the weight on that i have these all weighed out so the the uh, new generation bar that i have here is nine ounces I have a BJS bar that's been my main bar for the past few years, and it is uh, a 12-string bar, so it's a little bit longer, but also 15 sixteenths, and it's a 10.3-ounce bar. I also have here a George L's uh, 10-string bar that weighs 11 ounces, and I believe this one is, yeah, this one is a one-inch bar. And I have a, whoops, there it goes. And I have a Boyet's glass bar that I purchased uh, several years ago and ended up kind of putting on the back burner because uh, I actually was kind of afraid of breaking it. <laughs> uh, it's a beautiful bar, though, and uh, it's a one-inch 10-string bar, and it weighs in at 8.6 ounces. Okay, so first I'm just going to play a simple little phrase with each bar. I'll tell you which bar I'm using when, and uh, and then I'll, I'll kind of describe the feel of the bar. Hopefully you can hear a difference in the sound, but it's, it's actually more, I think, about the feel of the bar because... They'll all tend to sound fairly similar if they're decent bars and these are all good bars. So we'll start with the new generation. So here we go. As you can hear, it's got a nice sustain to it. Uh, Let's go to the BJS.
a similar feel, and but I do notice uh, the difference between the two so far. And this may have a lot to do with the BJS being a 12-string bar, which I do play a 12-string guitar, but I prefer 10-string bar, as I have later figured out. Uh, it, it feels, um, even though, the ironically, the new generation bar is weighted toward the tip, so it's technically unbalanced, it feels more balanced. It feels like the weight is where you want it, uh, which is what I like about the design of these bars. Let's try the George Ells bar. Also a very nice bar. Um, there, yeah, it, it, it's similar in feel to uh, the BJS, but there's uh, a smoothness that the BJS and the new generation have that this doesn't have. And I think that is going to be more of a feel thing. It's, uh, it's the feel of the bar dragging against the strings. I doubt if you'd really be able to hear a major difference between those. Okay, so let's go to the odd duck here. This is the Boyette's glass bar. Also a very nice bar. Um, again, there's a very major, major difference in the feel of this bar compared to the uh, the metal bars. When you move it against the strings, it's almost like there's no friction at all. And that can be cool, but it's also, you know, I think part of the problem for me with that bar is I was so used to playing with a metal bar that the difference in feel, while it's cool and I could definitely get used to it, I think... Uh, I was just used to having a little more drag, you know, used to having a little resistance as I move up and down the neck. Still a great bar, and I'm glad I have it in my arsenal. So now what we're going to do is we're going to do a little bit more of a real-world comparison, uh, and I'm going to play a phrase against a backing track so that we have something where we can hear it within the song, and let's see if we can hear a difference between these four bars. So I'm going to play the same phrase four times, and I'm not going to tell you which bar is which, and then at the end I'll reveal which bars they were. So hopefully, maybe you can hear it, maybe you can pick them out, maybe you can't. Here we go.
Okay, so here's the big reveal. The clips in order were the George L's bar, BJS bar, the New Generation bar, and the Boyette's glass bar. So I'm going to um, play just the amp signal, a clip of each of those again. So here's the George L's. The BJS. Here's the new generation. And the Boyette's glass bar. And what I noticed listening to these side by side like that is that there's definitely a difference with the glass bar. I can hear a, a much mellower tone. Um, the George L's bar is somewhere in the middle. And to me, the BJS and the new generation are, are the most similar in tone. They have kind of a, a brighter, more present uh, quality that seems to cut through the mix a little bit more. And uh, I do really like the feel of that weighted tip. Um, so I would say sound-wise, they're very comparable. Feel-wise, I like the new generation bar. I'm so used to the BJS bar that I am kind of surprised that I liked the new generation bar as much as I did, but it really feels natural in the hand. And the price they're asking for it is really reasonable. These new generation bars are available. You can get them now. I'd say check them out. You can find Glenn Porter on the forum and order one through there, or you can call 575-621-4320. That is the number for Red Barn Music Supply. And thanks again to Glenn for sending that bar out for review. Behind the Bar. Now let's get to our interview with Stu Shulman, a legendary steel player and the kind of person that everybody seems to know. You know, you say Stu Shulman and people know who you're talking about. Um, he gave me this whole list of people he's played and recorded with over the years, and I'm just going to kind of go through some of the highlights because the list is so long, but he has gigged and or recorded with Willie Nelson, B.W. Stevenson, Delaney Bramlett, Jimmy Rabbit, uh, Matt Hammer, Will Triplett, Sweethearts of the Rodeo, Paulette Carlson, Bill Carter, performed on Austin City Limits, uh, performed with Marsha Ball, Jerry Jeff Walker, Doug Somm, Dwight Yoakam, Vince Gill, the Arm Brothers, Wild Bill and his Buffalo Yankees, Caleb Clowder, and uh, Alaskan favorites, The Whipsaws. And Stu has been, you know, gigging and recording on Steel for so long, he just knows everybody and has been everywhere. So we're going to get right into it. We're going to hear some of Stu's war stories and uh, enjoy it. So we're here with Alaskan pedal steel player, Alaska by way of uh, Queens, New York, that is, The right? king of Queens. The <laughs> king of Queens. <laughs> Mr. Stu Shellman, and uh, just to give you an idea of, uh, you, you might already know who Stu is, but every time I mention uh, Pedal Steel and Alaska in the same breath, people go, oh, do you know Stu Shellman? And everybody, you know everybody, and everybody knows you. So definitely been around the block. I owe a lot of money. <laughs> so... Um, so, Stu, thank you for being on the podcast with me, and um, we were just going to kind of talk about your background a little bit, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I grew up in a city housing project in Flushing, New York. I guess they built them for all the guys who came home from World War II, like my dad, mm. you know, cheap housing. N nobody played any instruments where I grew up. Really? Yeah, I think my dad whistled. That was about it. <laughs> and he was really good at it, like that guy on Lawrence Welk. You know. <laughs> so how did you uh, get into music? 
Well, I have a, a cousin who's two years younger than me, my cousin Douglas, and he started playing guitar. So every now and then, my dad, they lived out on Long Island. My dad, we would go for a drive, you know, because Douglas's mom is my dad's sister, my Aunt Betty. So we'd hang out, and Douglas was getting really good at guitar, so he showed me, like, Honky Tonk and a couple of other, like, some Venture songs. And that kind of came full circle, because you got to play. Yeah, I got to play with Noki Edwards a couple of years ago at the fair. That's awesome. I knew all this stuff. <laughs> I remember you telling me uh, at the time that I've been preparing for this gig my entire life. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's really he cool. He was so nice to me. So uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into uh, steel guitar. Oh, steel guitar, I I got thrown out of a public high school. <laughs> so they asked my parents to please find another school to put me in. So they, my parents found this private school in Manhattan across from Carnegie Hall. So they put me there, and uh, I met these guys, and they were real, really into, like, the new riders of the Purple Sage, and every other word out of their mouth was, Jerry Jerry G plays a pedal steel, man. Jerry Garcia plays a pedal steel. I said, what are you talking about? They said, well, let's go to Manny's. So we got on the train, went down to Manny's music, and there was, like, a show bud and a couple of Emmons in the windows, and they were pedal steel, so... I think I went to see the new Riders once, and uh, by that time, Buddy Cage was in the band, and he had an Emmons. I said, that's pretty cool. So somehow I scraped together 375 bucks, <laughs> and I went down to Manny's and bought um, a show, Bud Maverick. I remember the owner of Manny's, Henry, he showed me how to put a steel together, you know, upside down, which made no sense to me at all. So I, t I took it home, and... I was going through high G sharps about five a night, just popping them, you know. At the nut? Yeah, but there wasn't a roller nut on this Maverick. It was just... Just, just a straight one? Yeah. It really sucked. <laughs> that guitar would physically make me bleed. I had blisters all over my hands from strings popping. Oh, wow. I hated the show, but Maverick. <laughs> nobody in my neighborhood that played at all you know just a bunch of guitar players yeah so how did you how did you make progress without a, I mean did you have a teacher eventually or eventually um, I joined this band from Queens we all went to high school together and we all moved to upstate New York to New Paltz which is in the Hudson Valley real close to Woodstock and we all went up there and I taught my, myself how to play steel to play in the band we had um, a guitar player who taught himself mandolin and fiddle, and we did songs by like the band and the birds and the Flying Burrito Brothers. Cool. So like anything with Sneaky Pete on it, you know, I, I would buy. So. so were you just kind of listening to Sneaky Pete and other players and, and figuring out? Yeah. Just uh, learning looks on This guy that I went to high school with, he also lived there in upstate New York, and I went to visit him once, and he had the Sweet Steel record, the one with Sneaky Pete and Buddy Emmons and Rusty Young and Red Rhodes, and so I'd never heard anything like that in my life, so I, I went out and found that record, and I was on my way, you know. Yeah. But um, there was one guy that played steel guitar in this band, the Arm Brothers, which I eventually joined, and that's who I wanted to get lessons with. His name is Chris Middaugh, M-I-D-D-A-U-G-H. And it seems that as though Chris had 
went to Europe chasing some girl. So he was gone. So one day, um, had all the doors and windows open, you know, it's like the summertime. So I've got this like showbud in. By then I had a showbud 6139, which I, I guess eventually called a Pro One. It's a nice guitar. So I had all the doors and windows open. I was in there just blasting away. There's a knock on the door, you know. So I, I answered the door. He goes, yeah, is somebody in here playing steel guitar? I said, somebody's trying to play steel guitar. He goes, hi, I'm Chris Middaw. I said, oh, my God. It's like, boom, <laughs> there he was. That kind of stuff happens in the yeah. steel guitar world. <laughs> so me and Chris became really good friends, and he showed me, like, all kinds of stuff. Turned me on to Buddy Holly and James Burton, and, you mm-hmm. know, we'd ride around. He had a cassette deck in his car, and he, he'd explain all the stuff to me. Cool. Yeah, he became a real good friend. Eventually, I there was a little bar in Rosendale called The Well that had, like, some really great bands there, you know, local bands like Orleans and uh, Robbie Dupree. He had the song Steal Away and Hot Rod Hearts. He had a band called the Chrome Willie and the Sparks. Just great players, you know, upstate New York guys. So the, this band came from all the way from Batavia. They were called Slim Chicken and the Midnight Pickers. <laughs> they had a steel player named John McLeish who lived in Woodstock. He played an old Fender 400. John goes, I'll give you lessons. So I drove up to Woodstock one day about 30 miles. A knock on John's door. He's got like a bottle of Jack in his hand, falling downstairs and shit. (laughs) He's trying to tune his steel guitar. That didn't work. Nothing worked. But one thing I learned from him, he said to me, he goes, you know, the steel guitar is just the organ in a country band. Hmm. Then the light went on. Because I've been playing B3 all my life in bands, you know. Guitar and Hammond organ, that's what I did. You know, Steve Winwood and Felix Cavalieri and Booker T. You know, I, that's the stuff I played. So so that made a lot of sense to me. You know, mm-hmm. changed my whole approach. So Interesting. In, in what way? Like, how did it change what you were playing? Well, you know, I could, like, play pads all the time, like a Garth Hudson from the band. Mm-hmm. But without that twang, you know, just pedal into a nice chord mm-hmm. on steel. You could still kind of feel it, but I, I wasn't in your face steel, you know. Mm-hmm. More like like what an organ would play behind the vocalist. Kind of more of supporting, supporting yeah. role. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, let's see. So eventually, the Slim Chicken Band became Wild Bill and his Buffalo Yankees, and we all piled in a truck with a like five guys and a German Shepherd, and we moved to Dallas for a gig, two-week gig. We could show up in Dallas, no gig. We wind up it playing... It through. Yeah, we wind up playing this little crappy bar for, like, beer money or something. <laughs> and there's, like, five of us. This guy let us stay on his living room floor. There's a big ceiling fan, you know, because it's, it's, like, 110 degrees in Dallas. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> I remember we starved so bad, like, there's like a little uh, 7-Eleven up the block you could get, like for 25 cents you get this big long tube of popcorn, 
<laughs> so we'd each get one of those, eat popcorn and drink water and have your stomach blow up so you wouldn't be hungry. <laughs> we were broke. Uh, that is broke, yeah. <laughs> we were broke. And then uh, we finally got this gig at this little beer and wine bar called Boogers. So we played there for a couple of months, and this guy was, turns out this guy named Wallace Selman, he worked for Willie Nelson. He was just coming through town to find bands to play Willie's second picnic, you know, just to fill up the roster of name bands that he had. So he came in and really liked us, so he had us come down to Austin. We're, li we're living in Dallas at the time, and he put us... He owned the Texas Opry House, which was a concert hall. And one part of it was rehearsal rooms. And then there was a place called the, the Annex, where they had little local bands. So we'd go down there and work for four or five nights and make good money. You know, we're used to starving, and they put us in a hotel. So I'm in the um, Opry House Annex, and we're taking a break. And about three guys approach me. I was going, hmm. Might be a fight, you know. <laughs> so this guy comes up to me and goes, Hi, I'm Michael McGarry. I'm the drummer with B.W. Stevenson, who had that song, My Maria. Mm -hmm. He wrote that. Most people know it as a Brooks and Dunn song these days, you know. He said, Can we talk to you? I said, Sure, yeah. So I went over to the table, and B.W. was there. I'd seen him perform in Dallas a few weeks before. And I can't remember who else. He goes, we've been watching you for the last hour and a half. And here's the deal. Um, Herb Steiner was supposed to rejoin B.W.'s band because he's on, like, the original album or the Mariah Maria album. But he decided to join Michael Murphy's band. So I want to know if you want to come to work for us. I said, whoa. I said, do me a favor, call me tomorrow when everyone's straight, you know, because you, <laughs> you guys have been drinking. Sure enough, they called at the hotel where I was staying. I said, I've been fired from bands before, but I never quit a band. So it was like the hardest thing I ever had to do. So I, so I called you know, Bill uh, McDonald, the leader of the Wild Bill Band, and said, Bill, I've been offered this gig, and you know, I kind of want to do it. You tell me what to do. Yeah. He goes, go ahead, you know, you got your whole life in front of you. He was like the coolest. So I went from playing this little bar in Austin to playing Arrowhead Stadium and football wow. stadiums all within like two weeks. Wow, that's crazy. It was bizarre. And how old were you at that time? I was about 21, 22. Wow, that's young. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look at that picture. Wow. Hippie boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. So that was your first big, you know. Yeah, and then I, so they moved me to Austin and. I mean, all I had was like an amp, a steel guitar, a guitar, and a big duffel bag with all my clothes. I had yeah. nothing. Yeah. So then I started working. And were you playing both steel and guitar with these guys? Yeah, like... mostly steel, but, yeah. you know, some guitar. And then I started working with people around Austin. Like, I, the first girl I ever worked with, I played with Marsha Ball. And the cool thing about that gig, besides work with Marsha, who's just a gem, they got to play Someday Soon. Oh, yeah. That's when she was still doing some country stuff. So we do some, like, Loretta Lynn, and we do Someday Soon, and, like, Silver Threads. I was in heaven. I got to play my steel guitar with a girl singer, you know? Mm -hmm. Did you get to play those awesome Buddy Emmons licks from I tried. Someday Soon? <laughs> I tried. 
Well, this podcast will be coming out a couple weeks after uh, after Buddy passed, and you know, yeah, I've been so thinking sweet. about him a lot. Yeah. I just think, you know, in the world of steel guitar, his his influence cannot be overstated. Absolutely, it's, it's everything. I never got to meet him, but I got to see him play one time in San Antonio. This girlfriend of mine got me a ticket. It was gonna be a little steel guitar thing at some little bar in San Antonio. So I show up there, it was me and uh, my friend Josh Dubin went, and um, I remember Herb Steiner being there. And from left to right on the stage was um, Julian Thorpe, Maurice Anderson, Buddy Emmons, and Curly Chalker. Wow. <laughs> I said, holy crap. And the, that a backup band from San Antonio. You know, of course, great players. A left-handed jazz guitar player, Jackie King, Hmm. He went on to play with Willie. He was just amazing. But I was the thing that surprised me most was two things. When they were tuning up, Buddy Emmons was under the steel with wrenches. I said, wow, he works on his own guitar, you know, which amazed me because I couldn't do anything on my guitars. Yeah. Total idiot, you know. <laughs> I think it's one of those things it seems like most steel players are mechanics and engineers. I think by that time I had a Blanton guitar. Yeah. So every time someone get weird on it, I drive 80 miles to see Jerry Blanton in San Antonio, which meant lunch with Jerry. Yeah. And hang out with him. He showed me the lick of the day. You know, just a great player. So that That's was cool. kind of cool. But uh, it was it was amazing getting to watch Buddy Emmons play live. Yeah. And Curly Chalker, we were going outside to like smoke a joint, <laughs> and he, he came up to me. You know, I'd always heard he's just like a kind of not a nice guy. You know? Yeah. He said, "Could I go outside with you?" I said, "Sure, come on." He goes, "I'm Curly." I said, "Stu," you know. So he went out there with us. And I told him, I said, I, "I've always heard you were hard to talk to." He goes, "Well, I've got the flu, but I, I'm just me," you know. He was like the nicest guy at that point in my life. I said, man, forget all the crap you hear about people. Yeah. Just take them, you know, for the way they are to you. So, yeah. Curly Chalker was just amazing. Well, let's talk about some of the other uh, artists that you've played with over the years. Some of your, I mean, we have a, a list here, and I like, it just goes on and on. <laughs> but yeah, tell us about some of your some of your favorite moments. There's people I probably forgot to put down. Um, See, I played with Willie Nelson after uh, Jimmy Day left the band. I was, I was in a couple of pickup bands with Jimmy, and he would give me steel lessons. Cool. Yeah, he would. He wouldn't give anybody lessons, but Jimmy had all these little kids running around. They all liked me because I have, you know, cousins and stuff. So, they, him and his wife, then Cheryl, they would come out and pick me up in the station wagon and. I bring my steel guitar over to his house, you know, and you go, how did Jimmy Day teach you if it, if his A and B pedal were backwards? But he would take, he would crisscross the rods oh. so he could play my guitar. Oh, cool. Yes. Nobody's ever asked about that, you know. And then I played in a little band with Jimmy and most of the guys in Willie's band who were called Too Hot for Snakes. And... Jimmy made sure that I set up right next to him. And like in between songs, he goes, I'm doing this, I'm like my left knee lever, you know, and watch my left hand here. And 
So that was kind of cool. I'd get on-the-job training from Jimmy Day. So you were playing guitar while he played steel? Yeah. And also getting a, a steel lesson at the during, same time? During the day, yeah. That's cool. He was so nice to me, you know. Just definite idol, you know. I tried to cop a lot of stuff from him. <laughs> I think by that time I, I might have been playing a show but Lloyd Green. Uh -huh. Probably the first one ever in Austin at the rounded front. Oh, okay. Yeah. Great sounding guitar, but... I traded it for a Blanton. I think I've had about three or four Blantons. Because Jimmy had a Blanton. He said, you need a Blanton. I said, okay. Yeah. Yes, sir. I'll find the way. <laughs> and then when I did that Austin City Limits, Jerry Blanton called me. He goes, hey, man, you were on TV last night. I said, I guess so. He goes, I'm getting all these calls from all around the country. People want a Blanton guitar. Cool. Really? Wow. He goes, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I said, why? He goes, you trade in that double neck, and I'm going to build you a brand-new guitar, and I'm just going to give it to you. I said, really? Because I bought my plant, you know, secondhand. Yeah. That's the first time anybody's ever done anything like that for me. That's cool. Very cool. Sad. Nice win-win. I mean, he gets Yeah, had a bunch business. of Blantons. Yeah. I've never played a Blanton. They tune from underneath with the left hand. You know, you get oh. like they go like that. You hit a pedal and these two tuners. You know, interesting. Great guitars. And you said over the years you've you've played almost every brand and every. Yeah, let's see. I had a ZB, I had an Emmons Student Model. That was Push interesting. changer, but yeah, stripped down kind of. It tuned kind of backwards, like an Emmons. You know, you tune with your pedals down first to an yeah. A chord. You get used to that pretty fast. And I had one of the first MSAs, me and Chris Middaw, we both had them, you know. I, I never forget, they called it Tidewater White Formica, you know. And had a, the neck tapered, you know, by the nut, so you couldn't really tell where you were. Oh, well, I couldn't anyway, so. It's like all things coming against me. But they were really nice people, MSA. Yeah like Maurice Anderson and his, his brother Jerry. We were so broke, they said, oh, come to this hotel in Dallas and hear us tonight. Maurice was playing bass and his brother-in-law was playing piano and some drum. I said, we can't afford anything. We're dead, bro, we're eating popcorn, you know? Yeah. So Maurice goes, don't worry, just come to hear us, you know? So he gets us in this bar and they bought us drinks and stuff. They were so nice. Oh, that's cool. I think Jerry, his brother, got us some gig at some barbecue or something. Yeah. Nice people. And these days you're playing a Desert Rose. Right? Yeah. I got a couple of Desert Roses. From, from what I look for in a steel guitar, I think they're just it. Yeah, what do you like about it? Well, it's got that mid-range honk, you know, like, what do I compare it to? I think my guitars sound like Tom Brumley when he played with Rick Nelson. Hmm. And uh, Lloyd Green went the way he plays on some of those Don Williams records, like Some Broken Hearts. He's got that real fat mid-range, like Les Paul compared to a Telecaster. Mm -hmm. That's the sound I hear in my head. Or Al Perkins, like an old 55 Eagles. Yeah. I just love that tone. I'm not into that real bright tone. Yeah. You know, like the the Fender 400 sound, although I appreciate it and I could do it when I need to. Mm -hmm. you know, 
I like a, a darker, more fat mid-range tone. Yeah, same here. I'm into that kind of. I mean, I I play a push pull, and I love that like big, rich. Uh, I was gonna ask you, did you ever get that pickup you were looking for, that Aluma tone? No, I kind of gave up on that because I measured out the uh, cavity on the Deckley, and I don't think it's gonna fit. It's an arrow, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm sticking with the Deckley pickup for now. There's something wrong with. There's it, a guy that rewinds Deckley pickups. I think it's mounted wrong. I think that's my problem. Well, he's in Austin, Bob Hoffner. Oh, okay, yeah. Good guy. I met him a long time ago. Cool. That's kind of. Uh, my mom had just passed away, and I wasn't very nice to him, but he's a very nice guy. Yeah, seems like it. Always yeah. post, you know, postings on the forum and everything. Yeah, yeah. Great player. I know he could rewind the Deckley pickup. Yeah, I might. Maybe I'll have have to have you take a look at it. But I notice when I look at it, like the pole pieces start in the right place, and then the closer you get to the player, they, they don't. They are right mis- they're the misaligned, strain. and there's something wrong there. And I think that's. I mean, I'm sure it's affecting the tone, but I don't. And I can tell that the. I don't know if it's the original pickup or not, because I got this way secondhand. But it's. It's, uh, it looks like the pickup cavity was routed out differently oh. at some point, and so it's something weird is happening. I'm not quite sure what's going on. Are you going to bring it to anybody in Portland? Well, uh... I have an extra pickup if you want to, you know, borrow it. I might have to fly it down, because it basically it usually stays up here in Alaska. Oh, okay. But I might have to fly it down with me after, uh, in September. So, we'll see. So I have an extra Bill Lawrence uh, X... LX 18 or 16 or something. Just a great pickup. Mm, cool. Yeah, I might. I may, you know, I may end up exploring a bunch of different options and figure out what I like. I like, I actually like the tone of that Deckley pickup, but I just, it bothers me that it's not a lot. I like right. Deckley guitars. I'll tell you a funny Deckley story. Um, Red Rhodes used to have a little shop in Hollywood called Red's Royal Amp Service. He would fix amps, guitars, anything, you know. He's like the mad scientist. Yeah. So Red was selling Deckley guitars. They made out of a pack of wood, I think they called it. Mm. I said, what's this? Is it like a plywood? He goes, no, it's like when Superman takes a piece of coal and squeezes it together and <laughs> makes a diamond. He said, it's the hardest thing you could imagine. I guess they're, they're hard to route on. Ah, uh, yeah. I said, oh, okay. So Red had this stereo pickup. Each pole piece went to a different amp. My God. <laughs> yeah, he was like a genius at designing pickups and stuff. Yeah. So, like, you play a chord sitting in the middle of these two amps is the most amazing thing you ever heard. Oh, that's cool. So I brought this, uh, this friend of mine moved out from New York or Nashville. And he goes, oh, you tight with Red Rhodes? I said, yeah, Red's a good friend now. He goes, well, he's okay for a hippie player. I said, Red's... <laughs> Red's happening, I'm telling you. He goes, ah, he ain't this, he ain't that. I said, you got it all wrong. I said, Red could really play. So we go to his shop, and Red goes, let me hear you play something to my friend. My friend's playing licks on this guitar. He goes, no, I asked you to play a song. He goes, huh? He goes, and he plays this lick. He goes, well, that's the intro to He goes, no, play a song. And this guy just looks at him. Red was here, get up, let me play. So he plays this the shadow of your smile, just by himself. Yeah. And he just, of course, he just blew us away. Because Red was just like a real heavy player, you know. 
and on the drive home, my friend said to me, so you could really play, huh? <laughs> I said, I told you that. <laughs> what the hell you think, you know? I mean, what we know of Red Rose is, you know, the James Taylor record, Sweet Baby James, which mm. is incredible, I think. He, Red really knew how to play a song. Mm-hmm. He didn't play any extra crap that's not needed, you know. And there's this album by Willis Allen Ramsey, a Texas songwriter. He only did one album on Shelter. And Red's on a song called Boy From Oklahoma. It's about Woody Guthrie. It's, it'll just kill you when you hear it. It's just beautiful. Cool. And all the stuff he did with Mike Nesmith, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to dig down into that stuff. You know, yeah. Paul Brainerd was, was talking yeah, about those records, Yeah, he was talking too. about it. That's why I gave you a CD I recorded Joanne in my bedroom a few years ago, the Mike Nesmith song. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. One time I, I got screwed by the this this artiste <laughs> when I was living in L.A., so I tried to sue him, you know, for the session I did through the union. I was a union member there. And uh, I talked to the president of the union. He goes, well, it says right here you don't read music. I said, I'm the steel guitar player, you idiot. He goes, well, I don't know about going to court. I said, thank you very much. So I I was close to Red's place. Red goes, what's the matter? Why so glum? I said, well, you know, this guy screwed me out of my money on the session, and the president of the union is going to stick up for me. And Red knew I could play. Red goes, give me the phone. See, he gets the guy on the phone. He calls this guy every name in the book. <laughs> he goes, he's got my top approval, you know. He doesn't have to read music. There's three-chord music, you know. Yeah. So he, he went to bat for me. I felt pretty special. But. So why, why was the sticking point, you know, reading? Why did that have, what did oh, that have to do with it? The union... I don't know, he thought it was, they would lose in court because I don't read music. Yeah. I could read your stupid chord charts. <laughs> you know, if you've ever been to the Union, I think it's Local 47 in L.A., you walk into the Union building and there's all these guys, horn players, you know, back then it was The Tonight Show and they would all assemble once a week and and go through charts. I mean some of the best players you ever heard in your life. And they would get work out of there. It was for horn players, you know, mm-hmm. and drummers that could sight read. I'm not from that school of music, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very few um, steel players are. I know they're seeing a couple threads on the forum with uh, Mike Perlowin and some other people talking about, you know, it's possible to learn, read music on steel guitar. It takes a little uh, a little bit of brain brain work to get through that. Uh, I, I have I've got, I've got that, one yeah. friend in Nashville, Wayne Adelman. Mm. I think he plays with Trace Atkins. He's been with them for a few years. Wayne's a reader. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I read a little music myself from playing different instruments, but I've never been able to apply it to steel guitar. I haven't really tried, though. Wayne's the only guy I know that could do it. Yeah. You know, I don't know everyone, but... But does that... Because who is writing... Notation for steel guitar. I have no, I have no idea. Wayne's mom was a piano player, I think. Mm-hmm. She was a music teacher, so she taught him at an early age. Mm-hmm. 
I think Tiny Tim used to go over their house and they would go through old songs, really old, you know, from the 20s. He would play uke and Wayne's mom would play piano. <laughs> cool. They'd go through all these old books together. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the other artists you've played with. We've got this long list here. Let's see, I played with Delaney Bramlett for five years. He was amazing. That's probably the guy I learned the most from. Yeah? Like, what kind of things? Just how to stack guitars and what a mix should be and how to approach a mix and stuff. In terms of, like, studio stuff? Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. all my studio stuff I learned from him. Cool. When, um... When I was playing in the Palomino Riders, the Palomino House Band, sometimes Thumbs Carlisle would play guitar, sometimes I would, sometimes Pete Graham would play steel, sometimes Dan Tyak, sometimes I would, sometimes John Noreen would play steel, you know, it was like rotating guys. Yeah. So, um, Thumbs comes up to me one night, he goes, hey, I told Delaney about you. He's got this song, be great for steel. He had red roads, but he's not gonna be able to use the track because he's red's got gout and he has got the shakes in his left hand. Mm. What's that all about? He goes, I don't know, but he said I told Delaney about you. He wants to come down and hear you, but you know Delaney doesn't drive and he doesn't go to clubs. I said, Well, I don't know what to tell you. Next night, Thumbs comes up to me. He goes, I can't believe it. Delaney's here after our first set. So I, I got to meet Delaney. He goes, well, give me a number. Would you be into recording with us? I said, of course. You know? So I go home, I tell my girlfriend, hey, Delaney Bramlett's going to call. She goes, yeah, right. <laughs> Next day, he goes, hey, you ready to record some stuff? He calls up. I said, I'm there. So we did about five songs that day. Oh, cool. Yeah. He was just so nice to me. So I, I worked with him for about five years. Awesome, doing studio and road stuff? Yeah. Cool. We didn't have that many gigs. One gig we played at Trankus by Malibu. And I'll never forget, Gary Busey came to our gig. He did all that Buddy Holly stuff he did in the movie. Right. He said, hide the good guitars, Busey's on stage. <laughs> like a nut, you know, just bashing into stuff. Yeah. But he, he knew all that Buddy Holly stuff. Yeah. yeah he played drums for and percussion for Leon Russell. He went under the name Teddy Jack Eddy. Look that up. Really? I never heard of that. Yeah, Busey. (laughs) That's cool. Crazy stuff. Let's see. Jimmy Rabbit. He was a disc jockey in L.A. when I first moved out there. My friend Leonard got me a gig playing guitar with him. And uh, I guess Tom Brumley had played with him. But he had left the band by the time I moved out there. Barbara. Barbie Benton, do you remember her? You're too young. I don't know that name. That was Hugh Hefner's girlfriend for a while. Oh. <laughs> Playboy, but just gorgeous. Yeah. She's a men's member. Oh, cool. Showing an arrangement once she had it. Just brilliant. Really nice girl, too. Have you heard Matt Hammer? Yeah, up here in Alaska? Yeah, I think he's in Oregon now. Oh, is he? Yeah, I used to play with Matt and a bunch of stuff. I recorded a record with him. I got that out in the car. You might like some of it. Yeah. Paulette Carlson, I played with her before I had this stroke. She was in Highway 101. 
she knows what she wants to hear. Yeah. And she's really nice, so you better have your crap together when you play for Paula, you know. Yeah. She's really cool, though. I, I got along well with her. Sweethearts of the Rodeo. I think I played maybe steel and maybe some bass with them, you know, just local gigs around Redondo Beach. Bill Carter. Bill's like a big songwriter now. Well, he's always been a big songwriter. Yeah. I think he wrote that Texas Flood for Stevie Ray. Oh. Wow. And Why Get Up for the Thunderbirds. Cool. Yeah. We still keep in touch. I was I was Bill and his wife Ruth. I was a couch lizard. <laughs> I was on the couch circuit for a long time. Let's see, Austin City Limits. I did either the first or the second show with B.W. Stevenson. The voice you hear, the director, Terry Lacona. Yeah. Terry used to run our PA when I was in the Arm Brothers in upstate New York hmm. for like 11 bucks a night and all the beer he could drink. <laughs> he, he's made something out of him. That's good. <laughs> nice guy. He still speaks to me. He's got to be a nice guy. See, Marsha Ball told you about her yeah Jerry Jeff Walker I did a one tour with Jerry Jeff I played guitar with him and a couple of guys in the band didn't like me so that was it oh well Doug Som that was interesting Doug was a great singer he had horns and you know, Tex-Mex stuff Milton, Milton Carroll he was an Austin guy he did the white soul guy, you know, like a lot of Ray Charles and um, I mean, Milton was really great. He was on Willie Nelson's Lone Star Records for a while. Mm. Him and Bill Callery called himself Billy C. We had this little band, we would go out on the road with these people on Willie's label, you know. Dwight Yoakam. One, day, one time when I was living in LA, I remember I had that ZB he goes, yeah, I get a phone call. Is Stu there? Yeah, hi. This is D. White Yoakum. I said, what you say your name was? He said, D. White Yoakum. I said, who is this? <laughs> and sure enough, it's him. You know, I thought he was messing with me. He said, I get this little gig in, like out in Manson country hmm. where Charles Manson and those guys live. There's yeah. a steakhouse out there. I said, yeah, I could do that. And he had, like, Robert Wilson playing bass and I think Stu Perry on drums, real good players. And there, and um, Jerry McGee on guitar. You ever hear Jerry? I don't think so. Incredible guitar player. He's played on a lot of stuff. Played with Chris and Rita and Delaney and Bonnie. And um, so I played steel with him. And he goes, I like your playing, though. I got all these gigs in Oklahoma because he had this manager, Jim Halsey. He said, would you want to go there? I said, yeah, whatever you need, because I wasn't doing it. And that was kind of it with Dwight, but he, he was real nice. I remember there were these two drunks in the bar that night. They were like catcalling them from the stage, calling them all kinds of names. So I went up to him and I said, who's first? I said, what do you mean? I said, which one of you guys is first? You've been harassing my buddy all night. You know, <laughs> I'm here to, you know, Let's have a go at it. He goes, well, we don't want any problem with you. I said, are you sure? <laughs> I, I, was, I was like seeing red. 
said, I'll leave my friend alone. Said, I go backstage, Dwight goes, what those guys want? I said, they don't want nothing. <laughs> so that was it. Next thing, I, I moved up here, and Dwight's like a big star. I said, wow. Yeah. Nice guy, though. Vince Gill. Vinny. He's played with some good steel players over the years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't even want it. Bring your steel around that guy. <laughs> Vince lived two blocks away from me in Hermosa Beach. That's Vince and Janice were married by that time. And uh, my roommate, Mark, he played drums with him for a while. And it was about the same time I was playing with Delaney. So I kind of knew Vince a little bit. He would show up at the house and take us out for Mexican food because he's the only person we know that had any money in a car, you know. <laughs> He had just quit Pure at Prairie League and was putting a band together. So Marcos pulls me aside. He goes, hey, Vince is going to ask you to join his band. Vince goes, why don't you come? He calls me up. He goes, hey, why don't you come down to Sweetwater, the neighborhood bar we're playing there tonight, you know. So I meet the guitar player. I said, I can't play that Albert Lee stuff. He goes, me neither. He said, I just junk rhythm. Vince looks over to me to take a solo. I look the other way like I don't see him. <laughs> I said, oh, okay, I think I can. He goes, I'm going back on the road with Dave Mason. You'd be bailing me out. I said, ah, you know. I wound up, we'd rehearse a couple of times a week. And Vince would go, no, don't play that little string because that's in the way of this. I said, oh, okay. Learned a lot. The guy's got the most amazing ear. Hmm. Like he bought an upright piano and like a week later he's playing piano. He's one of them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like the nicest guy, though. One time we played at the Palomino, and um, I remember at the Palomino, all the bands shared the dressing room. And um, we opened for this girl, Ronnie Blakely. She was in some big movie or something. And I've never, ever seen Vince pissed since that day. Never, ever, you know. He's like, just a nice guy. And, um, we did our sound checks and we went in the back and we were just hanging out. We were going to eat Mexican food and then come back to Palomino and play the first set. She comes in the dressing room and she goes, you guys are going to have to find the dressing room. Fitz goes, excuse me, this Palomino, everybody shares the same dressing room. He was real polite, you know. She goes, I guess you didn't hear what I said. You're going to have to find your own dressing room. And next thing comes out of Vince's mouth is, Look, man, we all scattered. The whole band had never seen Vince like that. She came out of the dressing room crying. Then Vince, you know, he played like the first set, and people were screaming, whistling. More, hey, Vince, 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 yeah. Place was going crazy. She had no idea who he was. Bad night for her. <laughs> Albert Lee played with us that night, I think. Oh, cool. Amy Lou came, all of them. That's awesome. Because he was friends with all those people, you know. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, my best student ever. He lives in Austin, Texas. His name is Jay Hudson. I'd show him a lick that I worked on for two weeks. 30 seconds later, Jay would play it back to you. Wow. Yeah. What's he up to now? I don't know. He had a recording studio. He was a great engineer. He did my friend Fred Kirch's record. And he, the Shaken Apostles. He got the guitars like 
biggest sound guitars I've ever heard. Nice. Yeah, I think he still plays a little bit. I took a couple lessons from Bill Keith. Oh, yeah. This, cool. The banjo steel guy. Yeah. When I was in the Arm Brothers, we had this guy, Jerry Oland, play banjo. I said, man, I'd really like to get some lessons. He goes, well, who do you want lessons with? I said, I'd like to get some lessons from Bill Keith. He goes, I know Bill. Here's his number, call him up. So I, you know, I'm all nervous and stuff. I said, hi, is Bill there? He goes, it is him. I said, well, my name is Stuart Shulman. And he said, what did you say your name was? So I told him my name. He goes, we, we got one of those in our band, same exact name. Oh, right. He was playing with Jonathan Edwards. And he said, well, why don't you come up to Woodstock? So I, I went to his house, set up my steel, and he had that old Ammon set he played. And he goes, do you know any theory? I said, duh. <laughs> he goes, oh, do you know this equals this plus this? Uh, duh. <laughs> it's like eight hours later, you know, the light bulb was coming on a little bit. Yeah. He armed me with enough that I would, you know, get through the rest of my life playing steel. He was the nicest guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, that book, that... Uh, the Earl Scruggs book? Winnie Winston book that oh. he was the co-writer on that Probably. book, right? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the classic steel guitar texts. Yeah. Oh, um, I also took lessons. There's a guy in upstate New York named Bob Brocious. He was like the Lloyd Green of Woodstock. Mm. He was older than the rest of us, so he had some band like the Country Comforts or something like that. And Chris Middaw took me to see him. He goes, check this guy out. You won't believe it. So we're watching Bob. I was going, my God. He sounded just like Lloyd Green. So he goes, go up and ask him to play 15 years ago that Conway Twitty song. I said, Mr. Brocious, could you play 15 years ago? He goes, oh, man, all right. What's your name? So I told him my name. And he sang it, and he played the John Huey part. It was scary. <laughs> sang like Conway played like John Huey. That's cool. And Bob also taught Tiny Olsen, you know Tiny? Uh-huh. He taught him, I guess. I guess Bob had a stroke a few years ago. But he's still in there. Yeah, maybe we should talk about that, because a few years back you went through a stroke. And oh. I know that affected your playing for a while. And yeah, I didn't I didn't play for a long time, you know. Yeah. It, it really affected my I guess it happened on the right side. They found two um, small blood clots dried up in the right side of my brain. Mm-hmm. Duh, my brain. <laughs> so um, hard things for me are like... On guitar, like the simplest stuff, like stupid little Chuck Berry rhythm patterns. Like my time is for crap now. But um, but you, I know you've regained a lot of that mobility yeah. back. And, and where, like, where are you at with like, you know, your playing and your steel playing? i say I'm maybe back about 80%. That's pretty good. Yeah, I've, I've got no complaints. I'm still alive and yeah. i got some good friends and stuff, you know that helped me get through all this crap, you included. <laughs> like after I, the second time I wound up in the hospital, I had kidney failure. I remember you and Emma coming over one day with Popeye's chicken <laughs> and you guys serenaded me. You played my 
one of my dad's roses, and <laughs> Emma played guitar, and you guys sang. It was, that did so much for me, you know. Oh, I'm glad that. I don't. I don't even really remember doing that. I remember the Popeyes chicken. <laughs> yeah. How could, how could you? How could you forget that chicken? And um, it was weird. Like I, I would visualize the steel guitar in my head. You know, like this plus this equals this, but. Every time I sat down in it, nothing would work, so I just kind of didn't play it for a while. I'd, the few gigs I was doing, you know, were like bass guitar gigs. And I was trying to get my hands stronger, you know. Even now I have that grip over there mm -hmm. on top of that amp, and I, I got a TENS unit that has like electrodes that, you know, shock my hand, mm -hmm. try to get my hands a little stronger. And then one day I sat my set my steel up maybe about about six or eight months ago and all of a sudden my left hand was like working you know because it was like tilting really bad it would go to wherever it wanted it had like a mind of its own yeah and so that that didn't work very well and then all of a sudden things started coming together yeah I got a lot of encouragement uh, what's his name important and Lynn Stafford mm-hmm he wrote me a really nice email, you know, Herb Steiner and Dan Tyack and Chuck Back, you know, they'd all check up on me and stuff. Yeah. Make sure there's vital signs. <laughs> yeah, like every time I sit down at my steel now, something that I did years ago will come back to me. Mm -hmm. It's like opening like a, like a big musical treasure chest. That's cool. So oh, I used to be able to do this, now we can you know, kind of cool stuff. Yeah, so you get to kind of re rediscover these patterns yeah. and licks and stuff. Yeah. And I know you've been spending a lot of time on photography, too. I see some of the yeah, I try still photos do. you've got in here. Yeah. That's and I see a lot of the stuff you do on Facebook. Beautiful nature shots and yeah, semi-psychedelic. When, <laughs> when I was walking every day on the coastal trail. You yeah. Know, try and do that, too keep myself fairly fairly healthy yeah and for you know I've always had a camera with me mm -hmm. I wouldn't call myself a photographer I mean, I, stuff just, you're doing is beautiful thank you I just something that tries to keep me sane you know yeah so what plan are you doing these days I know you're doing a, a weekly I'm playing at this little VFW on Sundays we got a really good band Cool. And you're playing guitar or steel? Well, yesterday I left my guitar at home. I just played steel. And cool. We had somebody sit in on guitar, and Tom Lambert played keyboards, and Rich Kenny Killer, sax player from Texas. That's the guy you were telling me about? Oh, he's unbelievable. He, he plays like somewhere between uh, Junior Walker and um, King Curtis. Oh, okay. He sounds just like a cross me. He's got that honk, you know. Cool. One of those Texas tenors that you hear about when you live in Texas. <laughs> He's just got that honk, you know. Yeah. A real nice guy. Sometimes we get this fiddle player, Troy Prather. He's 87 from West Texas. He comes and sits in. Hmm. He's really good. You've done a little bit of studio stuff recently too, right? A little bit. I played... Um, Kurt's wife at Surreal Studios, MJ Riemann. Mm -hmm. She did a little song I played uh, 
just acoustic guitar, and that was real encouraging. Though. Yeah. You know, the phone doesn't ring like it used to, but that's okay. <laughs> And at this point in the interview, we took a little break and Stu was going through a scrapbook and showing me some pictures of some people he had played with over the years. So we got a couple extra stories. Oh, right. David Allen Coe you played with too, right? Yeah. Didn't you do some tour with... I played one gig with me and Bill Carter. He kept looking at me. I said, I said to the road guy, I said, what's the deal? He keeps looking at me. He goes... I don't think nothing of it. He's tries, just trying to figure out if you're the same guy that was here last night. <laughs> Were you telling me about some tour you did with somebody and it was like, it was on tour with Cheech and Chong or something like oh, that? Oh, Johnny Barnett. What was that tour like? <laughs> that was kind of fun. It was me, Barnett, and Bill Carter, the songwriter. Me and Rusty Weir in Austin a long time. He was a nice guy. He never... Pulled the star shit, Rusty. Yeah. Just a good guy. I asked Bonnie Rayett, I said, you want to play my guitar? She goes, no, you're doing fine. I said, come on, you're wow. Bonnie Rayett. I'm just a neighborhood slug, you know. And of course, no Pedal Steel podcast interview would be complete without getting just a little nerdy. So uh, we were talking pickups a little bit. So here's that. My new favorite pickup is a Telonics. Oh, yeah. It's just great. Those have been getting a lot of... Dave Beatty, he sent me one with two uh, blades in it. Mm-hmm. Best pickup I've ever heard. Cool. So I begged Dave to make me a white one. Yeah, all their stuff is getting good reviews. Their speakers, their volume pedals. So I put that in and I said, Dave, this is the best sound pickup I've ever heard in my life. You know, he's got like a laboratory there Yeah. in Mesa. They can make anything. So what is it you like about the Telonics? It's got all, all that mid-range oomph. Mm-hmm. It also has a, just a beautiful brightness on the hand for playing harmonics, the bell tones. And it's a it's a humbucker with the yeah. dual blade? That's cool. It's a great pickup. I wish more people did like the uh, Sierra with the modular pickups. Doesn't that, isn't that great? What happened to them? Did they fall off the face of the earth? Sierra? Is the guy's name Neil Rogerson? Did he sell it? I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell because as recently as like two or three years ago, I know they were still active because they were offering those knob replacements that I got because yeah. I had a Sierra at the time. I know some guy said he never got them. Oh, really? Yeah, he was on the forum. He said they said they would send me a set of those, never got them. I, no, I got mine. Huh. But as far as I, last I heard, they're they're not building pedal steels right now. They're focusing on lap steels. lap steels. But I don't know if that means, I mean, who knows? That, that company's kind of gone through a lot of stuff. Over they made some nice stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a double uh, D10. I liked it theirs. And, uh, What's his name? He used to work for them. Some uh, friends. Uh, Bill Stafford. Do you know Bill? No. He designed a, a guitar called the, the Stafford Elegante or something. It's a Sierra. It's like 25-inch scale. Yeah. Just beautiful. Bill used to live up here. Hmm. Yeah, you don't know Bill, huh? No. He's on the forum. He's a nice guy. I'll keep an eye out for him. He's brilliant. I used to get him to fix all my guitars, steels. It didn't matter. Yeah. He would would fix anything. (laughs) Nice guy. And I want to thank Stu so much for coming on the show. Stu, it was a great interview, and thank you so much for telling all those wonderful stories. Uh, and let's hear some music from Stu. So this is a, a song by a guy named Will Triplett. 
It's called Highway Nights and Interstate Days, and Stu played Pedal Steel and Dobro on this one. And then after that, we're going to hear uh, Stu's instrumental version of one of my favorite songs, The Rainbow Connection. Big city lights caught my eye In the summer of 1975 I rolled the window down Just to hear the sound Highway nights And interstate days Eighteen on the blacktop Wait, no. 
And thank you so much for listening to the Pedal Steel Podcast. We will be back very soon. Uh, much less time between episodes this time, I promise. Uh, I've got a couple things lined up, some fun interviews, and another product review. So, uh, please check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, wherever you find podcasts. Hopefully we are there. And also check out the show notes at pedalsteelpodcast.wordpress.com. I'm going to try and put as many links as I can to uh, all the things we talked about in today's episode. And if you like what we're doing, tell a friend. You can email me at pedalsteelpodcast at gmail.com if you have ideas for the show, if you have a product that you'd like me to review or some music you'd like me to feature or if you just, anything you want to talk about, just go ahead and email me there. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on the Pedal Steel Podcast. Podcast.